Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Don Lindsay of Don Lindsay Horsemanship. Now in this episode, Don explains his beginning as a ranching cowboy, how he progressed to performance horse work, and through all his experience, has developed practical horsemanship. I encourage everybody to visit the social media and websites Don lists in the episode, and do check out his Vimeo page. He's got quite the selection of videos that are beneficial. Now should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Don Lindsay. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm good. How about you, Jason? Doing very well, sir. I want to thank you for taking time for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I'm very much looking forward to our time together in this episode and talking life, talking horses and and seeing how we can help some folks. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, I really like an opportunity to help people because I believe what Ray Hunt said, if you help the help the person, you help the horse. And that's very much a, a mission and a focus of our podcast and our show here. And the, the great thing about horsemanship is there's so many, so many different approaches. You know, there's a core value and a core set of fundamental skills uh, that we all kind of need to abide by, but with every horse is a different personality and different human alike, and finding the winning combination between the two is is what the goal is. And based on the variety of guests and the different approaches that we hear, you know, there's some that's good for for most, and there's some that's doesn't work for any combination of that. But we don't know unless we try and and try to seek that education and insight and horsemanship. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree there needs to be kind of a balance in a person's life for them to, to get along good and be balanced in their horsemanship and whatever they're doing with their horse. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So this show has spent a little time in the state of Utah the last few weeks. I think this is a fourth or fifth week in a row that our guest has been out of Utah. How is the weather out that way? Are you starting to turn to spring, starting to get horses out a little bit more, starting to thaw out? or? Yeah, it's it's starting to turn to spring. Um, We actually haven't had that bad of a winter right where I live. I've only had to haul to the indoor arena like two or three times all winter and other than that i've been riding right here in my backyard oh that makes it nice some days i have to bundle up pretty good but that takes a lot less time to put a coat on than it does to haul them yeah i was gonna say you're not riding in feet of snow right yeah but we're, but we've been pretty wet too it's been raining here now the last couple of days i was gonna say it creates all all sorts of challenges in and of itself yeah, we should have a really good spring, though, for as far as, like, grass and water for the farmers. It sounds like we, we should have a good spring and summer. That's incredible. Now, as we walk through this episode, I know the the lion's share of your life right now in horsemanship is in the, the reigning horse and reign cow horse world. But what I would like to do is go through a little bit of your history and, and kind of your evolution through horses and horsemanship and, and how you got started and how some changes have been made in your approach, and we'll work through all the way to your program now that you've titled Practical Horsemanship and, and some of the resources that you offer people to help raise their bar in horsemanship. Start out with me, I, I can't remember a time in my life when 
I didn't have horses. Uh, my dad always had horses, but for my dad, they were a hobby. He always did other things to make a living. He always told me, he says, you're never going to make any money with a horse. He says, you can't make a living riding horses. Well, I uh, worked for him in his fast food restaurant until I turned 16 and got a driver's license. And then I, I went and got a job on a ranch. So a lot of my history with horses was ranching. Uh, some of these ranches in southern Utah, I mean, that's all I did year-round was ride horses and tend cattle. Uh, some pretty remote areas. One of them in particular where I probably learned the most was out at the Robbers Roost Ranch in southeast Utah. I mean, it's a high desert. They run their cattle on the desert year-round. Their cattle are wild. The guy that I worked for had a lot of horses, and he believed in my uh, my views on horsemanship, he would actually pay and send me to Ray Hunt clinics and Tom Dorrance clinics back in the in the 80s and 90s. So it was really instrumental in a lot of my education with horses. But I've always kind of, other than a few years I went and worked construction because I thought I would make a lot of money, you know, but I hated to go into work every day. So I went back to cowboying, working on ranches. And then I, I kind of quit working ranches along about probably 1994, and I just started colts for a few years, um, you know. But I was really big into going to. I went and saw Ray Hunt and Buck Brannaman, and I went. I actually had the opportunity to go see Tom Dorrance twice. Brian Newbert was another and pretty instrumental in my in my education. At the time, all I wanted to be was the, I wanted to start every cult there was, and I wanted to be the best cult starter there was. But now that I've got a little older, I don't think I need to start every cult. And I, so it's what kind of created part of my evolution is I needed another direction to go because I got really good at putting the first 30 to 90 days on my cult, and I didn't really know where to go after that. I'd always been interested in working cattle on horses. So I started looking at other avenues and what I came up with that was the most interesting for me was a rain cow horse. And then I realized I really had a lot to learn now. First show I went to, it was basically a disaster, but it was a big turning point in my life because I, I figured I probably knew about everything there was about a horse because I'd been riding them my whole life, and I'd been a cowboy, and I I could catch wild cattle and tie them down. And, but when I got to something where I had to have some refinement and I had to ride with some precision, I really had a lot to learn. So I started seeking that you know i started buying videos by performance horse trainers uh cutting trainers cow horse trainers and reining trainers and sorting through it and picking out what worked for me and my perspective i actually had a chance because of a client that i had that believed in me they sent me down to al dunning's place in Scottsdale, Arizona, I got to ride in 
uh, clinic he calls his master's clinic, which was a five-day clinic at the time. And that opened up a lot of doors for me. I actually became good friends with Al Dunning and have went back several times and rode with him since. You know, and part of my journey now is because I rode with Ray Hunt and the guys that they consider the founders of what they are calling natural horsemanship, although these guys never called it natural horsemanship, but I had a background with them guys. And then I get into the performance horse world, and there's always seemed to have been some, with the people that have gone overboard on the natural stuff, they kind of frown upon the performance horse world. And I'm sure that years ago, the performance horse trainers were probably a little harsher than they were now, but they've evolved and the horses have evolved. You know, they, we have so much better horses nowadays that a lot of them methods that they, that people would consider quite harsh that they maybe figured they had to do back then aren't necessary with the quality of horses we have now. But I'm trying to find, I'm trying to interweave the two worlds of natural horsemanship and performance horsemanship because I see too many natural horsemanship people. They say, well, I'm only going to ride my horse in a halter. And they really have no control over their horse. I think, boy, they're really lucky that horse is gentle because they don't really have control. Okay, but that they frown upon anything else. And I think there needs to be a balance. I think some people have gone overboard with the natural part. And I think some people are still just maybe a little rough, a little harsh, and don't take the time to understand the horse and figure out it's all about trying to force the horse to do it. I see that in a lot of events, uh, you know, like we talked earlier about team sorting and and team roping. And I'm not putting any of these guys down because there's a lot of people that really are good at it and way better than I could ever be. But it's all about making the horse do it, you know. And if that horse doesn't work, they're going to get rid of that horse and get another one that will work instead of trying to learn more about the horse and how they could get that horse to work longer, last longer, and enjoy it more. So that's kind of where I come from, and I'm I'm doing what I teach now. I'm trying to interweave these two, and I'm calling it practical horsemanship because I do what's practical and what works for me and what keeps my horses happy and what keeps my horses working for me long long term. Yeah, I that think you make makes a, sense. No, all of it makes sense, and I think the strongest point that you make is is that balance right between horsemanship and and a job. Now, I completely agree with you when you make the point that that folks can go to any extreme and and this idea or mantra of natural horsemanship, I think it's an incredibly intelligent marketing strategy, but in my personal opinion, this approach titled natural horsemanship should just be horsemanship, right? It, Correct. My pursuit is to try to help folks get to the point where this is just how business is conducted. And that doesn't matter whether it's a functioning horse working on a ranch or it's a show horse or a performance horse, you know, and the biggest struggle in a lot of this stuff is helping to educate and change people's perspective in all of these disciplines to understand that 
it doesn't matter whether you're roping on a horse or you're working a cutting horse or you just want to go out and trail ride. There's applicable portions of horsemanship to all of it. And and I agree with you when you say if you're one of these folks that are just so embedded into horsemanship that it's too mean or malicious to do any of these other competitions or sporting or performance events. I don't think that's fair either because you can go the other end of the spectrum and spoil a horse to the point of making them bitter, making them sour, they're overweight, they're not worked, they're not mentally engaged, right? Is that, is that really fair to a horse? I, I don't think it is. No, I don't either. I And I've seen that a lot of horse just kind of gets a look about him like he's just glazed over, like yeah. he doesn't care. Yeah, they're just flat. Right. And uh, Right. So in going back through your story, you got your early start working ranch horses, right? And working cattle and, and some of these bigger outfits. At what, yeah. At what point in your journey did you make that transformation to more of an emphasis or more of a focus on horsemanship when when working with your ranch horses? Well, it probably didn't happen until like the early 80s when I first when I first had the opportunity I was working a ranch and I I read, read an article about Ray Hunt and his cult starting clinics. And it really struck some interest in me. The things that he did just seemed amazing to me because a lot of the ranch cowboys not taking anything away from them. They're good cowboys and they know their job, but they're not as good a horseman as I wanted to be. And, you know, so I wasn't really working around anybody that was really oh, an inspiration to me in my horsemanship. But I read this article by Ray Hunt, and it really struck an interest in me. And I remember this, it was in 1983. So I think I saved the Western Horseman magazine that that article was in. And I bet if I looked, I've still got it today. Well, shortly after that, I saw where he was doing a five-day colt starting clinic that was a couple hours away from where I lived. Of course, I was working at her on a ranch, and there's no way I could get five days off in the spring. But I finally talked him into letting me have Saturday and Sunday off. And Ray Hunt always started his clinics on Saturday because most people could get there for the first day, which he figured was the most important. So I went and watched the Ray Hunt Clinic the first two days of his cold starting class, and I was so blown away. I mean, I'd been riding horses my whole life, and I came away from there thinking, man, what little bit I know, I don't even have any business riding a horse. <laughs> it's <laughs> you funny know. you mention that, because when I went to my first horsemanship clinic, same thing, it's a, it's about five and a half, six days of riding, and... uh in no way, shape, or form did I think I was good with horses, right? I was definitely hungry for that education. Right. And coming out of that first clinic, I thought the same exact feeling like, do I really have any business even existing with a horse at all? I have so right. much to learn. Right. So, you know, from that point on, my focus became more on my horses and my horsemanship and getting better with horses, getting where I got along with horses better, you know, and and it took a little while, but, you know, over time, because I, I didn't have access to a lot of stuff then. I mean, I remember I bought Ray Hunt's only videotape that he had out then, and it was on a VHS. And it was really poor quality. It was good information, 
but it showed him starting two different colts and you know and i i didn't have we don't didn't have the resources we have nowadays nowadays you can find anything you want you know there's all sorts of videos and articles and all kinds of information at our fingertips and back then i had to hunt for it ray hunt came to utah once a year back then and that was all i had that and his one videotape and his book and looking for articles and but i was hungry for it so a lot of the time i was just it was just me out way out in the hills and my horses and i did a lot of experimenting you know with with different things i I found out sometimes I didn't know as much as I thought I knew, and I'd get myself in trouble. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's part of the evolution, though, right? It is. That's part of the learning process, you know. And you can't be afraid to make mistakes. I mean, somebody that never made a mistake, they're not doing anything. Yeah, and that's been a huge change in my perspective over the last few years, you know. I think growing up and in, in all the sports and education and everything that I did, I was so... The only reason I had the success that I had is because I was scared of failing. So I put all that uh -huh. effort into everything that I did because I did not want to fail. And it's not until the last few years that I had this change in perspective that, man, you should seek failure, right? Because the right. sooner you fail, the sooner you have the opportunity to learn. The sooner you have the opportunity to learn, the sooner you have the opportunity to get better. And mm -hmm. I think it's a it's an atypical approach and it's kind of hard to buy into that but you have to open yourself up and be willing to fail and and understand that all the feelings that come along with failure are part of the process however when you want to do exceptional things you you have to put yourself in a place to do so and and failure is part of that yes you do one thing that I really that really hit me was when I first started showing horses. Um, before that, I'd made all my mistakes out in the hills where nobody could see me. Uh, when I started showing horses, I was right out there in front of everybody. You know, uh, usually audiences and other trainers. And uh, that was kind of humbling for me. It's tough because I was talking with a friend a while back about the same, same concept and he said the the group of people that he rides in the association that he rides in is a very very supportive tight knit group of people and when you put yourself out there like you do in the arena your support group has everything to do with your success you know you bet. on one end of the spectrum you could be put out there and everybody's just going to point fingers and and chastise the man in the arena but the perspective i come from is that you know, we can all critique ourselves. We all have something to get better at, you know, exactly. and, and helping to foster that growth and helping to tactfully help others along is a, is a huge benefit to everybody in the horse world. You bet. It definitely is. You know, and one thing I, I've found is with, uh, the group of trainers that show cow horses is that, they're really a good bunch of people. Um, you know, in, in any group, you get a few people that kind of get arrogant and, you know, don't seem as friendly. But overall, I mean, they're all all there for the good of the sport. And the more they can help anybody else involved in the sport, the more they're going to help the sport. Yeah. 
And, you know, they're a good bunch of people. I've got so much help from so many people. And just like anything else, you know, I'll go ride with a trainer and pick his brain and pick his ideas. And then I have to go home and spend some time riding by myself and sorting through what I learned. And I find parts of it that work for me really well. And I find other parts that maybe I just don't, I'm not in sync with that don't jive with me right at the time. But I also have moments where it might be a couple years down the road, just the right horse will come along or just the right situation will come along. And all of a sudden the light comes on and I say, ah, that's what he was talking about. Yeah. It's a huge hurdle to overcome. It is. I I explain it to people with the two concepts of perception versus reception, right? You could perceive yourself to be doing a certain skill or task with a horse, but how does that horse receive that message, right? Exactly. You could think you're you're picking up a horse's barrel or squeezing up on a horse when in fact, you know, maybe you're burying your right leg a little bit, right? And that horse is starting to move off to the left. So in in synchronizing communication, right, you have to diminish that gap between how you perceive what you're trying to communicate with the horse and how the horse is receiving that message. But in order to do so, it takes a lot of time, effort, discipline, and reflection in the human being. Exactly. Exactly. And it's uh, it's interesting the way people evolve over time, you know, and I've, I know I've evolved over time. And I, I always think, and I don't know who said this, it's an ancient... Some ancient philosopher said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's kind of always been the case in my life. You know, when I I get ready to learn new things, somebody shows up to teach it to me. Yeah. Okay. And before I'm ready, they could tell me the same thing, and it would make no sense at all. It would have no meaning to me whatsoever. Correct. Correct. You know, so you've got to be open-minded and you've got to be ready to learn. And I think that touches on a huge point that you've brought up in, in some of your videos that you offer. And it's it's an approach that I very much believe in, and it's it's focusing on the process rather than the goal. You know, I think oftentimes people, they want that ribbon or they want that buckle or they want that big hard slide out of a horse but they don't necessarily focus on all the small little steps that it takes to develop that. Yeah, I agree. I agree that uh, there's there's so much that goes into that that a lot of people don't see. You know, and if you get too focused on the end result, you're going to miss a lot of them little steps. Um, I've uh, had the opportunity a few years ago to go ride with uh, kind of a legend in the performance horse world. His name's Les Volt. And he talks a lot about that in some of his programs. You know, if you feel some resistance in your horse when you're trying to teach your horse a new maneuver, you need to quit worrying about the maneuver and you need to go backwards a step and address the resistance you're getting. Yeah. You know, and people want to skip them small steps and go right to the end result. Um, you know, like I want to back my horse in the box and go team roping on him, but uh, we haven't ever tracked a cow before, you know. But, Correct. 
you know, there's there's so many little steps that go into the the end result that you know, and that's what I try and focus on when I'm teaching people is all the little principles and concepts that you need to know to put it all together to to get what you want out of your horse. And I think a lot of people need to place the focus on awareness, right? They need to Oh yeah. And it's a struggle and it's a very difficult lesson to learn, right? But being able to feel your horse better and create better timing and create better understanding in the horse's thought process. And once you once you really start to develop your awareness, you know, finding a mentor like you talk about, finding a trainer that you can really train under to help you with kind of the skill set and understanding your awareness will help you to solidify your communication or really drive the point home when you're working on any given task with a horse because if you don't have that level of awareness it makes it very difficult to to understand these concepts and if you don't have an idea or a plan embedded in your core how can you impose that into the horse you know how can you provide that intention for the animal yeah that's exactly right you know there there are mechanics and principles to horsemanship and to riding your horse but there needs to be a balance between that and your perception and your feel and your timing. You know, there needs to be that balance. Um, and I've seen both extremes in people. I've seen some people, all they focus on is the mechanics. Uh, and, you know, they might eventually over time get the horse kind of handy, but their horse isn't pretty. You know, they're, their horse gets, like we talked about, gets kind of glazed over like a slave, like they've made him do it his whole life, and, and he'll do it just because that's the easy way out for him. But And then I see other people that get where all they're concerned about is the touchy-feely, um, you know, don't offend my horse. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... You know, them people, their horse might really love them, or they they perceive that their horse really loves them, but uh, they never get their horses handy. Yeah, they never get their horses you respectful. Know, no, they don't. Their horse is basically like a like a lap dog. Which at a at twelve hundred pounds, that could be a very problematic set of circumstances. Yes, it can. Yeah, they you know they think their horse loves them, and the next thing you know, their horse is biting them, and they say, "Well, I can't understand because my horse loves me. I don't know why it would bite me." You know, and I try really hard when I'm teaching not to offend people, but sometimes the horse only perceives perceives the human as a source of nutrition. You know, that's the person that feeds me. Yep, yep, and it's true. You get into a lot of this stuff. It's hard because, like you said. Uh, you don't want to put anybody off or, or offend anybody, but you need to be the voice of the horse because there's obviously been a breakdown in communication in reality at some point between the, the two, the horse and human alike. And for me, you look at that exact scenario of a horse biting or being disrespectful or crowding a human being. It, it's not that you need to overpower the horse and, and be superior to the horse, but it's a huge safety issue. You know, oh, it people is. get ran over, they get stepped on, they get struck at. It's, or it's more of a safety solution rather than, rather than being disrespectful, if that makes sense. Well, it is, you know, and 
people need to learn to understand the way horses communicate with each other. You know, um, people will think maybe horses are being mean or aggressive, but they have their own little society they live in that us humans don't understand. And it's based on respect. You know, and sometimes you need to get a response to get the respect, and sometimes you need to get respect to get the response. You know, they kind of go hand in hand. But the horse needs to understand me and my presence around him and needs to be respectful of me. But people need to learn how to get that respect in a way a horse understands. Yeah, and people need to learn to give that respect back too. Yeah, and and that's another place where you see both extremes. You see people that they think it's mean – if you ever raise your hand to even block your horse, you know, you're being kind of harsh, you're being kind of cruel, and then you see the other people that are still where they get a little too harsh when they're trying to get the respect out of their horse, and they create fear. So it's an, it's another place where we have to get that perfect balance Correct. in the respect area. And being that balance is, is kind of the theme or the topic that we've discussed a lot of this morning, how has your approach to balance and horsemanship, how has that affected your relationships with your students or how has that applied to life in, in your regard? Well, it's, it's all about life. You know, you have, I think you need to have a balance in everything you do in your life. Um, and you know, with, with, with students, it's, I try and get them too. They say, well, I'd like to just be able to come out here and ride with you every single day and have you fix me. And I say, no, you wouldn't. I says, after, after a week or less, you'd hate me, you know, because you need to have the balance too, where you need to, you need to get the information. Then you need to have time to process the information, think about the information, experiment with it and figure out what works for you. You know, and there there just kind of needs to be a balance in everything we do. Uh, place I've always had trouble is finding a balance between work and play. It seems like I usually just work. <laughs> no, but, I, I am completely with you in that regard. And a few years back, you know, I had just bur- completely burnt myself out in seeking professional success. And mm-hmm. the exact reason that that happened is because I had horrific life balance. I never did anything for me to recharge right. my life's batteries. Never once. Never mm-hmm. once. And it was it was a tough lesson to learn. And I sure wish I learned it a lot earlier in life. Oh yeah. Yeah, but but just like we talked earlier though, well when the when the student is ready, then the teacher appears. Yeah. You're absolutely you know, correct. I, I I really believe that, you know, when you're ready for something, then you'll learn it. But until then, it, it won't have much meaning to you. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that is with every aspect of our lives, not just with horses. I mean, you know, just like finding the balance between work and play, between, I don't know what else, <laughs> you know, uh, earning money and enjoying money. Yeah. Place I've always had trouble, you know. Of course, maybe that revolves around work and play. I just... But I've been fortunate because I enjoy what I do. Yeah. What do you think in your journey in horsemanship and your change in, per, in approach from 
you know, just seeing the horse as a tool to start working with the horse and horsemanship and now starting to integrate some of those experiences into the performance horse world. Um, we talked a lot about life balance and things of that sort, but what are some of your more memorable moments in that progression? You know, maybe is, was there a single event that changed that approach or, or a light bulb moment that really drove the point home for you? Probably the, the biggest change was the, I would have to say is the first time I saw Ray Hunt clinic was the biggest change. And I can't think of a specific moment, but the years that I worked at the ranch at Robert's Roost, where we were gathering wild cattle and riding a lot of horses, this guy that I worked for, he also was a was a team roper, and that's what he liked to do, you know. And so we were working his ranch, gathering wild cattle, and making team roping horses, but yet. It's the first time I'd worked with somebody like him that he was interested in the horsemanship aspect of it, too. So all the years that I worked for him, I had a lot of opportunities to progress with my horsemanship because he was all in favor of it, where other ranchers were thinking that was like taking time away from the work I should be doing for them. It goes back to work-life balance. Right, life balance. And this guy, he understood that the better I got, the better it was going to be for him because I was riding all his horses and tending all his cattle. Yeah, and it's truly invested in your your commodity, right? Whether it is your business or your horse or or your right. hobby. Yeah, and he was the first rancher I'd worked for that that had that perspective that if he helped me get better, it was going to be better for him and all his horses, you know. And, he didn't have like a, a really large number of cattle. I think he had about 400 head of cattle, but he ran them on desert year round and it took a lot of country to sustain them cattle. So it was like big country, not a lot of cattle, but big country. And we did a lot of riding, you know, uh, he wouldn't take a horse out there to his ranch until it was four or five years old because of the distances we had to ride sometimes. Yeah, you just need the physical resilience out of the horse and the maturity. Of right. It. And, and you know, and I've worked for other ranchers that they would have taken a, a two- or three-year-old out there and pounded it into the ground and, and had one of them glazed-over horses until the horse, by eight or ten years old, would get stiff and sore and wouldn't be any good to him anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Um, so it, one of the big turning points was working for this guy. He was kind of a local legend, too. He was a rodeo cowboy. 1965, he was intercollegiate world champion, all-around cowboy. And he was he was an interesting individual. A lot of people liked him, and a lot of people didn't like him. He was good to me. I was going to say, that's part of life, though, right? Yeah. We ain't going to make everybody happy. That's right. So now let's move on to your brand of horsemanship, titled Practical Horsemanship. You have... Quite a few resources available. You know, it's it's very exciting what you got going on, interjecting some of this horsemanship into the performance horse world. Let's talk about kind of how practical horsemanship was developed, and then we'll work into what it has to offer people today. It, it was an idea that I had for a long time. I always thought, you know, the two worlds should try and get along better. Like, I think the, the really extreme natural horsemanship people, they need a shot 
of what the performance horse people do, and maybe the performance horse people need a shot of what the natural horsemanship people do. And so it was actually kind of, you know, an idea I came up with. And I tell you, when it started is when I started looking around on Facebook. I didn't, I mean, I didn't grow up with computers. They were all new to me, but I started messing around on Facebook, looking at stuff, and that's where I got the idea. Um, so I started a business page. Uh, I have a Facebook page. It's called Don Lindsay Horsemanship. And then I started a group that's like a discussion group, and it's called Practical Horsemanship, and it's on Facebook. And if somebody posts something in the group that doesn't pertain to horses or horsemanship, I, I remove it. It's coming along. I've got like over 2,000 members in the discussion group right now. You know, and if anybody that's into horses and learning about horsemanship, they're sure welcome to join it and comment and post and, you know, join in the conversation. And my Don Lindsay horsemanship page, I actually have like 96,000 followers on that page right now. Holy smokes. I, yeah, I just I couldn't believe the way it the way it grew, and I I post horsemanship things. I like like I'll post I'll repost like some of Les Volt's posts. I'll repost I'll post Ray Hunt quotes. Uh, sometimes an article of mine or little short videos of mine I'll post, and it's really taken off. Uh, I just recently built a new website. Uh, we're still in the process of getting everything I want on there, but it's dlhorsemanship.com. Um, eventually, you're going to be able to purchase my videos on there. Right now, there's a link to purchase videos, but when you click on that link, it's going to take you to Vimeo. And I have videos for sale on Vimeo that are, you know, horsemanship videos. Um, eventually, I'm going to get do more videos that are more like not i wouldn't say event specific but maybe maneuver specific where i'll take a maneuver that people like to learn say for instance the the turn they have to make if they're working a cow i'll take that maneuver and i'll break it down and show them the steps that it takes to get that maneuver and get it good yeah as i say again you're touching on on focusing on the process rather than the the goal result right but anyway, that that's kind of what I've got going right now. I'm offering clinics, although I don't have a regular clinic schedule, so I'm mostly staying in the western states, places I can drive to in a day. Um, I'll have probably three or four clinics right here at my place this, this spring and summer. Um, they will be posted on my Facebook pages. And, you know, but I would... I would like to start doing more clinics, but I I don't think I want to get like a regular clinic schedule where I'm just traveling all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to go a few places and do some weekend clinics, but and you know, I am available for that if somebody's interested. And I'm I'm teaching what I call practical horsemanship. I mean it it kinda involves a lot of the natural horsemanship stuff, but I wanna see people start learning to get their horses a little handier. Yeah, and what's your what's your approach that you take? You know, let's say you get a relatively green rider, or heck, an experienced rider in that regard. You know, and 
and let's say I was to come to your outfit and, and we're going to start down the road of practical horsemanship. What's kind of the general approach or the general feel that you kind of try to take towards your clients? Well, first thing I need to do is I just need to kind of watch them ride. And then I'll start asking them to do some basic, basic maneuvers and see what I'm getting. You know, because I really believe you need to work with a, a horse or a rider, either one. You need to work with them where they're at and try and get them to progress. So, you know, if you work some places too over their head, you're just going to blow their mind or else they're just going to shut down and not get any of it. Yeah, horse and human alike in that regard. Yeah, yeah. You need to work where they're at and try and lift them to the next level. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of people try and teach where they're basically all they're trying to do is show people how much they know. And, you know, that doesn't really help a lot of people. Yeah. And I've seen impress some people, but it won't help them. And I've seen in my experience, a lot of trainers have like a, a cookie cutter approach, right. Or a certain agenda that they like to follow and they try to incorporate every single rider and every single horse that comes to their program into their theory or their method or their approach, you know, and, and in my experience, both on the receiving end and the sending end of that message, Mm -hmm. you really got to, to be good, to be successful, to be proficient. You really have to have the ability to read that horse, read that human. Yes. Find out where each is at and really start to try to, try to bridge the gap between the two and, and when you take almost that custom tailored approach to to helping people, that's when you really, really start to see the success develop. That being said, that is an incredibly difficult ability to have when working horsemanship and trying to mentor folks. Yes, it is, but it's that's one reason why I keep my clinics small. You know, because I. I think you need to take an individual approach to each person and each horse. I mean, their needs are different. The way they think, the way they process things is different. And I don't think there's actually a cookie cut method that will help everybody. You might help a majority, but I try and help more on an individual basis. There isn't, you know, and we talked about it early on in this show that there's, there's general guidelines, right? And there's yes. kind of a, a foundational approach or foundational mentality in a lot of this horsemanship stuff. But when you really get into the minutiae, you you have to apply those methods to the individual circumstance. And that's that's how you build a success. Yes, I, I agree with that totally. Um so I I offer I offer three different clinics. I offer a basic horsemanship clinic, which includes groundwork, and basic riding skills. And I've just started last year offering an advanced horsemanship clinic. But the one thing I notice is nobody wants to admit they might need a basic horsemanship clinic. I get 10 times as many people want to to sign up for my advanced horsemanship clinic just because I call it advanced horsemanship. Yeah, Yeah. they want to have that certificate, right? They want to have that goal, that end piece. So what I started doing at the clinics that I call my advanced horsemanship clinics is I I quickly go through all the basics, just touch on them and make sure everybody can kind of get them. Okay, and then in the afternoon, I would have them 
I would take one rider at a time in my arena and I would say I would give them a specific task to do with their horse, whether it be a, a lead change or setting their horse up for a lead change or working on a turnaround. And then I would help that person individually where they were at. Because um, some people, they'd go out there for, I'd say, okay, let me see if you can get your horse to do a lead change, you know, and first thing they do go out there and pick up on their horse and their horse's head goes straight in the air and their horse tries to go faster and doesn't ever change leads just kind of rings its tail well that's given me a reference point where we need to start you know and, and we may go clear back to some really basic stuff that they need to learn before they even think about learning the lead change yeah i had a very similar experience at a clinic a few months back everybody in the clinic rides pretty well pretty experienced horseman and we were given a very very simple task like you talk about right from a dead standstill in two strides pick up a right lead ride your horse straight stop him right square going into the fence collected right underneath them keep your horse relaxed the whole time mm -hmm. which seems like very 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 basic stuff and then you get out there and you do it and that's when you really start to see the holes in your game and Yes. For me as a student, the the message was just what you talked about. Forget all the flashy, fancy stuff, the flying lead changes and the sliding stops and the big spins. We got to get back to the foundation. We got to get back to the fundamentals. We got to get back to being with our horse, keeping them relaxed, keeping them collected when needed, when asked, right? Exactly. And really, really, really focusing on the intention of your acts, the intention of your communication and and in my experience, what I have found is that the greatest horsemen in the world, yeah, when they go and do these demonstrations and they compete, it, it it looks like they're doing amazing things with their horse. But what it really comes down to is they are just that much more precise and that exactly. much more clean in their communication. They take a fundamental skill set and they screw it up once out of a thousand times where the common horse horseman might screw it up 10 out of 100 times, you know. Or, right. or or 50 out of 100 times, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a huge gut check in one regard because the instructions are being given. You're like, oh, this is a simple task. We'll be able to knock this out in no time. Right. And then you do it and you're like, oh, maybe we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need to take I a know, step back because, because yeah. that was not as pretty as we wanted it to be, right? We were not on the same page. We were not stride yeah, for stride. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, and you know, when I've, I've been there too, that exact spot, you know, like when I first started showing. And even now, you go to a horse show and not everything's going to go right when you're out there and you're doing a pattern that's based on precision. You know, it, there's so many variables and anything can happen. But the better you have your basics, the better chance you've got of holding everything together when there's outside factors. You know, and I think that approach that you just explained is very applicable to life in the regard that when we focus on the fundamentals, life balance, we'll say. Right. right? When you focus on life balance, you put yourself in a better position to to travel life. However, you have to be forgiving and understanding enough to know that things are not always going to go our way, right? You're not always going to be best. You're exactly. not always going to be the best. Uh, uh, life isn't always happy and grandiose. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hardship. But focusing on those fundamentals of life balance will kind of pr provide you the coping skills to to carry success throughout throughout your journey. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you you can you always come back to the foundation you were brought up with. Yeah. You know, and and I think horses are going to be the same way. Yeah, and I think a lot of people you know, there's the adage out there that you'll you'll rise to the occasion under stress and pressure. You'll rise to the occasion under adversity. And I think that there could not be a more dishonest statement in this this world. When you're put under yeah. stress and pressure, you're going to fall. Okay, you're going to fall to your highest level of foundational training. Right. You're going to go back to what you know. Exactly. What is in your core? What is what is an inevitable right. or an innate skill set, you know, and, to, and back to things you've done so much they're second nature. Correct, correct. And and I think in with everything in life we get focused on all these grandiose goals and plans and ideas that we lose sight of what's really, really important. And that life balance might be your family, right? That life balance you know, yeah. might be fifteen minutes every morning reading the Bible or 10 seconds of quiet time in between the chaos of life, you know? Right. And, and I think that's where the horse, that's where the horse helps us be in the moment and understand the priorities of life. And, and we take some of those lessons learned in the pen and start to apply them to our life. We can develop a more fulfilling and rewarding life. Yeah. You know, and I don't know about anybody else, but my quiet time is really important to me. That's when I process, especially if I've if I've been to a in a learning situation, then uh, I need time to sort that out and process it, where I have no outside influence and just and experiment with it and see how that's going to work for me. And you know, quiet time's real important to me. You know, I always get up extra early and just spend fifteen twenty minutes just sitting quiet. Yeah, and the way I like to explain it to people is that, you know, there's always this concept of of soaking time or settling, right? Where you give, right. where you give that horse that time to metabolize everything learned or gone through. And I oftentimes ask people when I'm working with them, "What have you given your chance yourself the chance to soak?" Exactly. Right. What have you given yeah. your chance yourself the chance to reflect? Yeah, because we have so much in our face nowadays, you know, with the internet and TV and everything else that's always going on in our lives that that I really need some time just to shut everything off and see what's going on with me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. People need to make make that more of a priority. Yeah. Myself I mean, included. Yeah, I see so many people I mean you can't have a conversation with them without them texting somebody else at the same time or they're on their phone looking at something or you know, and I, I, I need time away from that. Yeah. So I know earlier in the show, we kind of alluded towards your websites and your social media. If you don't mind maybe brushing up again where people could find you, should they be interested in, in attending a clinic or watching your videos? You know, I spent a lot of time since our previous conversation going through your Vimeo and going through your social media, and there's a lot of valuable content. And you talk about specific mentalities, specific approaches, you know, equipment, you're starting to get towards some of that maneuver stuff. There's a lot of digestible content. You know, you teach at a level that's understandable for most, and and it hits on those those valuable foundational points. But again, where can people find some of that material? Um, probably the easiest place to find me would be my website, 
which we just got going two or three weeks ago, a new website, and it is dlhorsemanship.com. That's my initials, dlhorsemanship.com. And uh, I have links on there to my social media. I have links on there to Vimeo, which is where my videos are available for purchase. And if people want to go to that Vimeo site, besides the videos I have, I have four videos that they can purchase that are longer videos, but I have like eight or nine videos at the bottom that are short videos we made out in my backyard that are just free. They're just, and I'm adding more to them all the time. Um, when we can, sometimes I even take questions on social media and if I, if possible, I'll make a video to show them and, and I'll put it back on social media and after it's been there for a while, I'll take it and put it in that Vimeo collection. So there's there's some good information in there, you know, if people are interested in it. And you know, I I really want to help people. That's why that's why I do this. You know, I haven't ever made a lot of money on videos. My videos are the most expensive video I got's like fifteen bucks. But I, I said earlier about what Ray Hunt said: if I can help the person, I can help the horse. And if I can help the horse, I can help the person. And I'm at a point in my life where the, I I want to help people get along better with their horses. I don't like it when I see controversy between the horse and the rider, especially when it's something that could be fixed so easy. That's kind of where I come from anymore. And continuing on that point, uh, I like to close every show with kind of lessons learned or a life motto that the guests live by. So in your experience, whether it be life, whether it be horsemanship specific, what is the legacy that you want to leave or what is something that you would love to leave with the listeners that has provided value in your life that you think another individual might be able to, to learn from? I don't, that's, that's hard to answer. There's been so many things. Me and my wife used to go for Sunday afternoon drives and we used to listen to CDs of a guy named Dr. Wayne Dyer. And one of his quotes that always stuck with me, and I have it on my personal Facebook page, I have this quote, and it just says, uh, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that really is, has so many different levels and so much depth to that statement that it applies to horses. It applies to everything we do in life. And I, I always remember that quote and that's, that's probably one of my favorite, but it's very powerful because oftentimes we can't control specific circumstance. However, what we can control is our attitude and the effort in which we approach that set of circumstance, you know? Right. And, and it can change the whole circumstance. And it can change the the road that you travel. It can change your end goal. You know, it can change a lot of a lot of parts of life. And for me, I have noticed that very, very small changes in perspective have had profound effect on the end result. You bet. I totally agree with that. Well, Don, as we come to a close here, you know, we, we blew through an hour relatively quick and Again, I thank you for making time for everybody at Let Freedom Rain Podcast and sharing your approach to practical horsemanship. 
Again, I, I encourage everybody to visit Don's website, find that Vimeo page. There's a lot of valuable content. Join the discussion board or or I guess ask for permission to join the discussion board and Don will give you the blessing. And and Don, we're looking forward to everything you got going and, and maybe some future episodes together. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share. We'll see you down the road somewhere. Yes, sir. You have a good rest of the day and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.